This is NFL.com's Coaches Show Podcast. 40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's grabbing out there. Nobody's got them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Thanks for checking out the Week 7 Coaches Show. I'm Brian Billick here with Steve Mariucci. This week, we discuss the fallout of the Percy Harvin trade and the slumping Seahawks. Plus, are the Cowboys legitimate title contenders? And lastly, Mooch and I will debate if Peyton Manning is the greatest quarterback ever. The Coaches Show starts right now. Oh, boy, Mooch, we we got a lot to talk about. Interesting interesting day. I know you were coming back from Brett Favre's place, that palatial mansion down in, uh, in Mississippi. That had to be fun. We had a ball. I went in the night before, the day before, so got to spend some time over there in Summerall, Mississippi, and uh, it, it, we went to dinner uh, with Deanna, and I saw all the kids, grandkids, mother-in-laws, everybody was there. It was a big family affair, and we had a blast we catching up, and uh, you know, I hadn't been to this property before. Yeah. It, it's relatively new, and, and uh, I've been to Mississippi before with him, but not to this and place. And you were comfortable we on that. There's a lot of Italians down in Summerall, Mississippi, right? I didn't see any. <laughs> you I don't know. I, we didn't go to an Italian restaurant either. We ate <laughs> no, some fish. No, that's not we the ate place some gumbo. to get. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's talk about some football. Obviously, the big one that jumps out at me, I want to talk about Seattle Seahawks, which have their issues. I mean, it's amazing how in this league, how different it is at the quarter mark versus the halfway mark versus the uh, three. You know, the quarter mark. It's you know, Cincinnati's unbeatable. They're dominant. The Seattle's and now Seahawks. They they are struggling a little bit against a St. Louis Rams team. Let's begin with the special teams play because that's clearly how that game was won. The spe- John Fossil used to be on my staff in Baltimore. Jim Fossil's son doing a heck of a job. Special teams clearly were the difference in that game. Well. That's the reason. There's no doubt that was the reason because the Seahawks, heck, Russell Wilson had a heck of a game, maybe his best ever. And uh, the, statistically, the Seahawks really should have, could have, would have won that game, right? Except for two plays in the kicking game uh, where your guy, Three plays, John, really. The return, the, the punt, and don't forget the uh, fake, uh, fake punt at the end of the game. Sure. And, so, yeah, so, um, you know, th- that's where the game was won. There's no doubt about it. And... You know, it's it's like, all right, you got Pete Carroll against Jeff Fisher and who outcoached who. But you mentioned it. It's the special teams coaches, and you know those guys. They're very competitive. They're very under the radar. We don't talk about special teams coaches like we do offense and defensive coordinators, but they are maybe the most important guys on your staff. And this was a this was a, a, a an example where John Fossil. Uh, and, and we both know Jim very well. He really had a heck of a plan together with all these fakes and returns and whatnot. And he maybe he's been sitting on them for a while. And he's got to put the bug in the coach's ear. Hey, it looks like it's there. We got a great chance. Let's try it. And Jeff probably vetoed that 14 times already right. this year. But sooner or later, he goes, yeah, let's do it. And boy, did it work. So my hat's off to the special teams coaching in that game. That's where it was won, yeah. no doubt. The punt return, obviously, was just a great punt return by Benny <clears throat> Cunningham, setting up, obviously, a score. And we'll talk in a minute about the fake punt at the end of the game, where he did it. That was a heck of a call by <laughs> Jeff Fisher. But let's talk about the punt return. <clears throat> That they had set up because, and let's take fans through a little bit in the special teams. And here is the part that surprised me. You know that every every kicker, you you directional kick in the NFL, 
lot of people, I'm not sure, realize the punter is going to tell you where it punts. We used to name them one, two, and three, right, middle, left, because you want your, your coverage guys to know where you're punting the ball. And it's based on where the ball is on the hash. So obviously, and looking out, seeing Tavon Austin, and I thought St. Louis was brilliant in the way they set it up. Because let's remember, Tavon Austin was set, as I'm looking at it from Seattle's standpoint, on the far right-hand side. So you got to know they were going to kick it to the left. They don't want to kick it to Tavon Austin because we know how good he can be. They actually had Stedman Bailey jamming the gunner. So that it was by design that they said, you know what, if they see uh, uh, Austin... Over here, Tavon Austin, they're going to punt it to the left. So we're going to have the gunner peel, and we're going to have our entire return team go to the right with Tavon Austin. And you got to know in the, in, in, in the huddle that the kicker said, okay, I'm going to kick it, I'm going to kick it left. But these guys like Cows following another one off the cliff, they saw Tavon Austin out there, fair catching. One guy went there, so they all went there, and the kick actually went to the left. I've never seen in all years we've done this, Mooch, and coached and been. I've never seen anything like that. Ryan Billick, I'm just going to refresh your memory. I know you now. have a story for me. This has been done in the National Football League before, and um, my buddy Kevin O'Day was one of the coaches over there at Chicago. Chicago did this against the Green Bay Packers oh, that's a why few you know. years ago in Soldier Field when they had Devin Hester. And Devin Hester drew all the coverage over to the left side exactly. If you, if you look at both of these plays, you're going to go like, oh, my God, it's the same play. And everybody from the Packers went over to Devin Hester. Johnny Knox peeled off from the jammer, caught the ball on the sidelines like Willie Mays. Soon we went for a touchdown. <laughs> now got called back because some somebody was holding on the other side. Totally unrealistic play. Pete Carroll was screaming like a stuck pig because he was upset that there was a free, you know, a fair catch signal showed. But it was by a guy on the other side of the field. The officials aren't going to stop that. Tavon Austin yeah. was waving his hand brilliantly, but you're not going to stop play because a guy totally away from the kick is waving his arm for a fair catch. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why anybody's waving his arm way over there, but but you but what you, what you have to do, Brian, because this. I used to coach special teams for five different teams. Did all you right? really? I didn't know that. Yeah, well, when I was in college yeah, and, you know, all yeah. that. So, so, and then, you know, this as a head coach, you got to stay on top of that. Right. And you had some good special teams coaches, maybe, you know, a lot of guys. But you got to have a return type guy over at the jammer, okay, right. number one. You got to have a guy that can catch a punt. Not all those jammers can, can catch a punt, right? So, so he's got to be a guy that you would almost, you would almost have him back there in, in, in a dual set back there with, you know, he's that capable. But you put him up here to disguise him, and then you can lure away towards a directional punter just like this. And one out of a million times, well, maybe one out of a hundred times, where you get that and he can jam and then fall off in case there's a bad kick then this, this, you have an opportunity to do this. Like I said, this worked beautifully here, but it's been done before in the National Football League. you got to go see that play. It's identical wow. to this. And so wow. it was very good coaching. And Fassel probably had this in his bag of tricks for, for years, okay? It's not like he just made it up on Wednesday, okay? He probably had it, and he probably, you know, didn't have the right opportunity to use it. But here it was. And Jeff said, what the heck? We need an upset. We need to try. Pull out all the stops, right? And so they did it, and it worked to perfection. Huge upset. Kicking game, good job, Fassel. Yeah, huge part. Because you're right. I don't know that St. Louis could have pulled this off against Seattle 
And even with that, Seattle came back, and obviously a record day. No quarterback in the history of the league has thrown for 300 yards and run for 100 yards like Russell Wilson did. Nothing and, wrong with Russell Wilson. No, right now. no. And the, and the kickoff, the, the punt return obviously set it up as well. Let's talk about the fake punt at the end of the game because yes and everybody's saying well he had to make that call because we've seen St. Louis you know get a lead and then fade as they have the last couple times they've gotten a lead and in that situation Russell Wilson had just gone the length of the field so you got to believe he's going to do it again I understand that but as the head coach to approve of a fake punt when you're on what were they on the 20-yard line because if if this doesn't work you're dead you you have lost well you got a two-point lead and you're going to give them an automatic field goal at least so it's like if this works, we got a chance to win and run the clock out. If it, if it doesn't work, what the heck? You know, uh, we lose and uh, we played close. We lose by one point. But you got to know if it hadn't, of, they, we'd be crucifying Jeff Fisher right now. Yes, we would. And, and so watch the design of the play. First of all, it was only fourth and three. You, you know, you don't fake a punt when it's fourth and 27 because right, even right. if the darn thing works, you might not make the first down, right? So it's only fourth and three. They took their personal protector, and that's who they threw it to. Benny Cunningham. And they picked the guy that was covering him, or they attempted to pick the guy that was covering him. And he was in coverage. He had to kind of bubble around the guy, and all you need on fourth and three is just a little bit of room, one or two steps. And if that darn punter can just get him the ball, you get it. So, so they, they felt, again, after watching several punts, hey, Castle says, Coach, I think it's there. I think it's there. I think it's there. And all of a sudden, it's fourth and three to win the game. Hey, what the heck? Try it. Because it was, it was executed beautifully. Now, I don't always trust punters throwing a completion. But um, it, the design of that fake, that was a new one for me. It was, it was pretty special how the, uh, the left gunner came down and, and tried to pick um, the uh, guy covering you, the fullback. Were you a big uh, 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 fake onside kicks, fake punt type thing guy? I know, because all of our, you're right, all the special teams coaches, they're in your office. Every, coach, we can get this. Were you one to do that much? Every special teams coach, the answer is yeah, sometimes. I was more, <laughs> Brian, I was more, uh, uh, you know, willing to do that when I was coaching special teams and maybe offensive receivers or whatever that is and suggest it to the head coach, hey, the fake's there, hey, the fake's there, let's run the double reverse, you know, all that kind of thing. When I was the head coach, <laughs> I was much more conservative. Yeah. I was like, yeah. no, I don't want to answer questions in the press conference why, the, why your play didn't work. But, um, yeah, it was fun. We, we ran, when I was coaching at Cal, we ran the fumble ruski on 3rd oh, and God. 17 against USC, and then when we scored, then we just to rub it in, we ran a fake swinging gate, two points, just, just, to, just to be funny, you know, just to have fun with it. But you got to have those plays ready and practiced up. And when the situation presents itself. They have have fun with it. I I was not a big trick play guy, but I had one time. Gary Zauner was my special team coach in Baltimore. Right, right. And we have this this fake punt. And and it's like you said, it's it's fourth between fourth and one and four. I don't want to go more than that. Okay, fine. And it's got to be this part of the field. I said, okay, Uh, if it presents itself, I'll I'll do that. And I wasn't a big – he knew I wasn't a big guy to do that. So I forget. We were at home. I figured this is the place to do it. And – so I've, we're in the situation. I'm going, okay, we're going to do it. So I call for it. He comes screaming. The player's going, the, he comes screaming down, not now. Not, not now. now. <laughs> what do you mean not now? You told me. Well, no, they're not. Oh, my Chase's God. Chase's mind, he audibled oh, on you. Oh, my God. Did it work? Did uh, it work? Uh, no, we called it off because uh, oh. it wasn't that now. All right, we got, before we get out of this game, we got to talk about the big th- in Percy Harvin, the whole Percy Harvin dilemma, how Seattle 
And mm. when that happened, I was up doing Playbook on Friday, and we did the 4 o'clock show, and then it happened. So I'm thinking, no. You, I was actually doing a radio show, and I thought, I said, well, Coach, what do you think of Percy Harvin being traded? I go, no, you're wrong. Someone's tweeting you something, some bogus information. There's no way Seattle. But I knew then when it, when it was verified, we were going to hear the rest of the story. Okay. We knew there was going to be more than just from a football. Let's talk a little bit about the Seahawks and that mindset. And you, you and I have both have our, our trials and tribulations of some troubled players, some guys we'd like to have gotten rid of. Let's talk a little bit about the come a football decision, obviously the cap issue and the number it was going to carry, and they had to do Russell Wilson. They just did Earl Thomas. I get that part of it. But you knew there was going to be more to it. There was a reason why they made this trade. This made sense, yeah. Brian. It made sense for the uh, Seattle Seahawks to do this because you have a guy that's going to be very expensive here coming up who hasn't played a lot. When he plays, he's dynamic. There's no doubt about that. Excellent player. But his history, his track record has been migraines in Minnesota, uh, hip surgery, you know, all of that in, in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And so in Florida, too. And so, so you know, the 40-some million coming up in the next few years – how much of that will he really earn? And then uh, the Jets taking him and at very low risk. I mean, it's like a tryout, really, right, this year. If they, if they like him, fine, and it looks like he's going to be worth that kind of money, you keep him. If not, you let it go. And so, you know, and Percy's, uh, he's, he can be. I, I don't know him very well, but from what I'm hearing, he's, he's got a personality that can rub people the wrong way at times. He'd be a great guy at times. Um, but is it worth it? If he plays every down and he's very, very productive and he's, he's durable and he's dependable and you know, it's whatever that is, maybe it's worth keeping a guy that's high maintenance. But if he's not playing a very high percentage of your games, then it's time to cut the cord. And, yeah. and so that's what they did. Hey, I, I get it. Here's the two things that jump out at me, because from a football standpoint, you can certainly see for all the things you just talked about. But first, I don't know that John Schneider and, and Pete Carroll can do this unless they have that Super Bowl ring in their back pocket. Because let's remember, they gave up a one, a three, and a five, I think it was. Maybe it was a seven, but it was a one and three and a late pick for a guy that ended up playing basically eight games for them. So clearly... That's a lot when you go to the owner going, well, I know we, had, we gave this guy all this money, and I know we gave up a one, three, and a five, but now we're going to let go of him. So you got to have – got to be comfortable in your own skin and feel very yeah. comfortable in your own position when you do that. Secondly, yeah. and I get it, and I can certainly see, because here the Jets are coming off a game against, like, New England, where it was really an excellent game plan. Rex did a wonderful job. They should have won that game. Absolutely. They yeah. had the ball for 41 minutes. Chino Smith played just well enough, and you lose. So you know the thinking is, well, what do we got to do one now? More we're playmaker. dead. We're dead. Okay, they get that one more playmaker. But you listen to the commentary about Percy Harvin. Is this locker room, the Jet locker room, and we know what that can be like in New York City, in a team that's one and, and six now, this isn't a reigning Super Bowl team, okay? Mm-hmm. This is a one and six where the coach is under fire. You put that personality mm-hmm. into that locker room, I, that, that's a bold move on New York's part. It is, but they're not married to him, right? They didn't. Right. They didn't spend a big signing bonus. They didn't give up a draft choice. You know, they're going to give up a, uh, an nothing. if pick, yeah, right? So, so the price was right. I mean, really, I think this is a half season tryout for the guy. Right. And the Jets will keep him if he proves to be dynamic, and if if he proves to be troublesome, then they'll cut they'll cut their losses. It's not not that big a deal for them either. 
Well, let's let's move on to, I guess, probably the next biggest story or really the biggest story in the league right now. The six and one Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I know you picked them early to be six and one at the halfway <laughs> mark. Hey. Let's talk about this Cowboy team and not the fact that they beat the Giants. It was actually a little closer game than many of us thought. But let's begin with just how good this Cowboy team is and what occurred to me after watching the game and listening to Troy Aikman remind us that that Jason Garrett was on that 95 Super Bowl team, their last Super Bowl team, with the triplets mm-hmm. and with mm-hmm. Emmett Smith and Jay Novacek and, and Michael Irvin on the outside and Troy Aikman mm-hmm. throwing the ball talking about this is the team that Jason Garrett wanted to build. Big offensive line. He's got his own triplets with Romo and, and uh, Jason Witten and Des Bryant on the outside. And a defense that, when you look at it statistically, is right now extrapolated over 16 games, is exactly ranks the same defensively. Total defense against the run, the pass. It's amazing how simple. As that 95 defense. As this, that, that's a surprise. I mean, almost to the line. When you look at the numbers comparing these guys and where they're at right now, this is the 95 Cowboys. Hey, Brian, I've got, I've got memories of that 95 Dallas yeah. team because, because I was with the Green Bay Packers when we played them in the And NFC how tough it was to beat, beat them down there. And they were really good. We were winning the game in the third quarter. But anyway, I remember Brett Favre was sitting with me going to that game, okay? We were sitting right behind uh, Mike Holmgren. And Favre pulled out a Jeff Foxworthy book. And he started reading it to me out loud. You might be a redneck if you think Old Yeller is your uncle's front tooth. I mean, he, he, had, he had me laughing, and Mike was really kind of mad. Just, yeah, I mean, could imagine. Because here's our quarterback just having a good old time. Relax. That's, how he, that's my memory. And Deion Sanders played wide receiver in that yep. game, too. And Jason Garrett, too, played. And so, um, yeah, that was a heck of a, of a team that they But This team is becoming like that. Let's not crown them yet. But so far, so good. Um, Better than expected with DeMarco Murray staying healthy. That offensive line is going to make Jerry Jones the executive of the year. Yeah, yep. you've already gave <laughs> Rod that Marinelli, to him. Rod Marinelli's going to get another head coaching job because his defense is pulling off miracles. And Tony Romo is like, after back surgery, come on, he's like the best guy in the league. It's Des Bryant is, is, is doing all the right things and making plays and being a good team guy. It's like, who are these guys? And so I think they're exceeding expectations. But are you are you still waiting for the other shoe to drop? Yeah, I am. I am because I, I get the triplet thing. You know, with Romo and, and Demarcus Murray, Demarco Murray is playing like crazy. Yeah. And Des, I don't know how Marinelli's doing it on defense. I know. I don't know how he's doing it on defense because. That's my phone again, Brian. And so Brett's farving. He, Brett's calling. He, Brett, he wants the comforter back that you, the Brett, towels you stole. I can't talk to you right now. Okay, so <laughs> he wants those towels back that you took. <laughs> I did. And so he, you know, you know, we were the killer bees. Remember that defense? I don't even know who they were. Right. And then that that was uh, Miami, right? And then you had the uh, no name defense, and you had all these names on defense. We need to get Marinelli's defense a name. Yeah. They got to be somebody. Marinelli, something monsters, something because they're playing way over their heads. They got two guys on that defense. Uh, Anthony Spencer and, and and Melton have one Pro Bowl. That's it right. on the whole defense. Uh, they're, they're just a bunch of guys playing hard and playing well right now. Maybe some of them make the Pro Bowl now. Yeah. They impact but after Rolando losses, McClain, that linebacker. That ended up being a beautiful move, getting Rolando McClain. Yeah. Remember, he was, he was drafted by and, and flopped around Oakland for a while. Uh, of course, Ozzie Newsom signed that Alabama guy back, uh, and, and he never really turned into anything in Baltimore. Retired. 
and and uh, they went out. You got to give again your executive of the year, Jerry Jones, credit for going out and taking chance on a guy that says, "Nah, I think I'm done with football." Well, okay, well, give, let's give you one more chance. He's been a you know when they lost Sean Lee, that was a huge pickup on their part. Mm-hmm. So you got to give the Cowboys credit. I'm like you. I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> but this team, I don't know. I'm still with you with the defense. I don't know if they've been through the gauntlet of the really good quarterbacks. Not that Eli Manning's not a good quarterback. I don't know they've been challenged quite that way yet. And, obviously, the defensive numbers are going to be jaded by the fact that, that they hold on to the ball and they run the ball. They run the ball so well that, that you know, a good, to have a good defense, you have to have an offense that's physical. And, and, but we also know if you run the ball well, uh, Warren Sapp and I were talking about this, if you run the ball well, you usually play the run real well because you're used to practicing it against it. I think we're yep, seeing that I, I a little bit. That. Because the way they're practicing and what DeMarco Murray does during training camp or even in practice or whatever, they, you're right. This, and and, and, and uh, Rod Marinelli, you're exactly right. The job. Who, who thought? Because remember, let's how bad. Let's remember how bad this defense was. I mean, they were bad third, in third historical terms. Ever, ever in the history yeah. of, the, of, the, of ever. And so they, and it, I just thought after they lose, you know, DeMarcus Ware and Sean Lee, like you mentioned, and a bunch of other guys, I, oh my God, they might be worst ever. And Marinelli's, and they changed defensive coordinators. Monty Kiffin's not there anymore. So, anyway, my hat is off to these guys. They're winning it. They're, they're doing good. They're, they, they look good every single week. It's not by luck either. So, hey, good story. Big good challenge. Story. Let's get ahead of it. I'm just going to ask but you. Let me, but let me add this, though, Brian, because this was their first uh, NFC East game, okay? Right. They still have everybody to play. The Eagles right. twice, the Redskins right. twice. They still have to play the Colts. They still have to play Chicago. In fact, that's our game on Thursday night. Um, who knows what we'll get up in Chicago. That team is kind of goofy right. too right now. And then they have Arizona, who's a heck of a team. So they're going to be challenged here in the second half of the season by their own division and some other teams that are playoff caliber. Let me ask you that, getting ahead of it here a little bit. You said they got the Eagles twice, and I'm going to ask you this only because of the contrasting styles. Chip Kelly... A lot of plays, high tempo, throw the wall. Yeah, we want to run, but the defense. Pick, pick, pick me that first uh, Dallas uh, Eagles game. Who do you think? Ah, and I think it's um, in Philly. Yeah, I think they're going to split this year. I think they're right. both pretty evenly matched teams. I think they split. Philly wins at home, and Dallas will yeah. win at home. And you know, in, in Philly's, you know, they're pretty darn good. I mean, they they didn't look very good against the 49ers. But all the other games, they look pretty explosive. They're hard to defend. They throw that thing around. They spread it around. They're up-tempo. So they probably split. Well, I'm, just, I'm looking at it right here. I'm correct. The first game is Thanksgiving game. It's in Dallas. And, and I'm okay. with you. You know, I'm going to go towards the home team. I'm not sure. I think the difference could truly be I'm not sure that Philly defense is going to hold up against the onslaught of DeMarco Murray in that big offensive line. I, I think you may look up and Nick Folds gets – five snaps in the first half type of thing, you know, and that, that, that will stretch it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's part of their strategy now because, I mean, even when they had the great Troy Aikman, they didn't throw it 50 times a game. They controlled the game on the ground, and, and then they, they took their shots and did their thing with Michael Irvin when they wanted to and Novacek and those guys. So um, I think it's the same recipe. You said it earlier, Brian. Jason Garrett is trying to build a team like that 95 team, and you know what? They're starting to look a little bit like it. Now, now that might have been the best Dallas team ever. Who knows? But um, this team is starting to act like that. Let's, you, you brought it up because you talked about you're going to do that game on Thursday with Dallas and Chicago. Let's bring up, there's a couple teams that have got some stuff going on. 
you know, given Good that's stuff. what losing brings, you know, it all of a sudden things that let's start with the, those Chicago Bears and and uh, there's supposedly very heated exchange in the locker room afterwards. Uh, Brandon Marshall going off on everybody, including his quarterback. Let's talk a little bit about the job that Mark Tressman has to do if the expectations in Chicago and it hasn't come to fruition. They can't win at home. Uh, how do you? How does he address that? It's one thing not winning on the road like St. Louis, but how do you handle not winning at home? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, and so you know this as well as I do, that winning, a winning locker room is the most fun thing there is, right, for coaches and players. A, a victorious locker room. It's not always champagne and all that like the baseball, but it's fun. And it's like very macho and it's like, we get it. Well, a losing locker room is... Um, I mean, those were the things that, that I hated the most. You know, then you got to go do a press conference. But, but there's, there's, so much, um, there's so much disappointment, frustration, anger, whatever that, those words are after a loss, especially when the expectations are high. Um, and, and a couple teams like the Bears are going through that right now. The Saints are going through that right now. That the frustration levels really kind of. And you got a lot of personalities in that room, right? You got some guys that are like going to listen to music. Some guys that are just right. going to explode. Some guys that love each other. Some guys that hate each other. I mean, there, it, there's all kinds of personalities in that room. And I that that Bears locker room must have been a mess. And Mark Tressman's got to find a way to calm it all down, get them back on track, and get them working again because it is a pretty a pretty competitive team. It could be sure a playoff team if they write the ship. And I don't – here's where I burr up and, and the old coach in us, I think, comes to the forefront. Because you know what we're going to start hearing. Mark Tressman is losing the locker Lost run. his team, yeah. yeah. What, 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 what's Mark Tressman got to do with it? If these guys can't – they don't – I've never seen a team yet where the players play for the coach. They, do, they play for themselves. They play for each other. And that's the I way it should be. I thought they all played for Brian Billick. Yeah, I right, thought that right. this, they, 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 I just, they had a nice clip on me on Playbook where I got up in front of my team and I said, and I was after a big win, I said, look, I know you guys don't believe half the stuff I tell you. I don't believe half the stuff I say myself, but, but believe me when this, and then I went on about all 53 men or whatever. But yeah. you understand where I'm going. It, it, it grates me a little bit when we'll start to hear that, or it's a Tom Coughlin when they're struggling, whatever. They've lost the locker room. That locker room, to a degree, it's got to hold itself together, doesn't it? Yeah, and you know what the glue is? Wins. That's, yeah. the, that's the glue that yeah. holds teams together because you, 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 you hear there's teams that win Super Bowls and it's like, oh, we loved each other. We had good chemistry. Right. And right. That. Well, no kidding. I've never heard of that about a losing team because that losing separates guys and it, and it, and it frustrates people. And so, um, you know, they've they got to win a couple of games here and get back on tracks, you know, and, and start believing in each other, believing in the system, in the coaches, all of that sort of thing. But, geez, when you lose, that all unravels fast. And, I, you know, I, I didn't experience that much in, in San Francisco because we won a lot of games. But in Detroit, we lost yep. a bunch of games. And, my God. It's hard to hold was, it together. It's hard. It's hard. And you're just, you're just reaching for straws sometimes. And, and, and they're, you start off with a bunch of good guys that are all in the same direction, headed and marching in the same direction and focused in, in one central theme. But then losing seems to just bring people apart, just pull people apart. And, and so Mark's got his work cut out for him. The next team I want to talk about is, is Marvin Lewis's team in, in Cincinnati. And let's remember at the quarter mark, 
There were a lot of us, and I'll, I'll lead the charge on this one, Me that too. thought, you know what? Cincinnati may be the best team in this league right now. They are unbeatable at home. That defense is playing at a top level. Andy Dalton seems to have it going. They're committed to the run. They got A.J. Green and Gresham and Sanu's playing good in the slot. Tyler Eifert in the two tight end. And now they can't buy a win. And they, yeah. they on Sunday, they, they, Mooch, they went nine straight drives of three and out. Nine out. straight drives to Whoa. a Indianapolis team. The last thing you want to do is get if Andrew Luck some extra possessions. Uh, and, and we can talk later about Indianapolis and the job Greg Mnuchin's doing because they lead the league in third down. Stopping teams on third down is phenomenal. But they, they could do nothing right, and I'm not sure how to put my finger on what, what it is that's going wrong in Cincinnati. Well, when you lose two receivers, Marvin Jones and, of course, A.J. Green, part that hurts. You take two good receivers away from any team, pick your team, they become somebody else. And so that's part of it. The other thing is I, I remember – putting them in the Final Four when they were undefeated. They looked like a real complete football yep. team. But then reality struck is because the Patriots took them apart, okay? And it was like, whoa, maybe we aren't as good as we think we are. And then they tie Carolina, and Carolina's up and down right. like a bunch of teams are up and down, and then they lose another one. So their losses and ties are, are to pretty good football teams, but they're still not playing very well. They have to get A.J. Green back. You know, I know Hugh Jackson, the offensive coordinator, he used to be my offensive coordinator at Cal. Um, back in the Pac-10. And so, you know, he, he'll, he'll get them going some way, somehow. But right now, I think they've got a little bit. And this is a long season. This is it a is. marathon. When You're we get to the three-quarter mark, it might even be different as well. Where do we end up? Although yeah. they do have the Ravens this weekend, all but at home. That's a tough one. They, that's a huge game tough. for them and a team that tough. they had beat to start the season. I think the other thing defensively I saw were um, Geno Smith going into the game had not had a sack. First time in his career to go six games without a sack. And he's such a big part of their inside presence. And we all know how quarterbacks hate pressure right down the middle and up the middle. So there's a few things going on with the defense as well. But you talk about how do you hold that together. Again, the players. And again, to me, the challenge in Cincinnati and for Marvin is because they've, they've won so well in the regular season, it's kind of, well, it's, our, it's just wait to get to the postseason. we got to play better there. Like the regular season's just going to happen, and, and we know that it doesn't. And now could that locker room – Start to because you're talking about two new quarterbacks, Hugh Jackson, Paul Gunther, the defensive coordinator. That we thought, okay, well, they're going to be fine because they were on staff because Mike Zimmer went up to Minnesota and Jay Gruden went to Washington. Do they start turning on a Hugh Jackson and Paul Gunther going, well, maybe you guys aren't as good as, as we thought yeah. coming in? The other uh, one is, yeah, yeah. is the New Orleans Saints. And, and Sean Payton kind of burred up a little bit, as we all have done. When some people wanted to question about why they can't win on the road, and, and he started spouting out stats about this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, Sean or, or, or Mooch, they're not very good on the road. Can we put a finger on? Uh, have you ever had that kind of road stretch where what? I remember in Green Bay, you guys couldn't beat us in Minnesota, so you always tried to, you tried a different hotel. Mike had it. You at one point you just stayed in, in River Falls, Wisconsin. You didn't even come to Minnesota to play. You stayed in River Falls, Wisconsin, yeah. and bust in. Yeah. Well, what, what, what we finally ended up doing is getting Brett Favre good enough to go in there and there win that game. There you go. You know, but um, hey, how about this? How about this? So when I go to Detroit, they have a streak going of 16 losses in a row on the road, okay? Two years, two full years, eight and eight, right? So I go in there. 
My first year, we lose every game on the road for the first time. So now we have a new record. I mean, we have a, a record that's never going to be beaten. 24 losses in a row on the road. And it got to be so, so, uh, the, the players were so freaked out about that record as it was going that I remember, you know how you, we all pray, right, as a team before the game and after the game, right? Guys were praying in players' time, please let us win this game on the road, blah, 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 all of that kind of stuff. It, it got to be a mental thing. Yeah. It was awful. And then the next year, then we, we won some games on the road. We beat Chicago our first game, and it was like, oh, my God, what a weight off our back. And then later on, I think they, they broke that record again. But it, sometimes it gets to a point where it's not just a dome team like Atlanta or like the Saints or Detroit or whoever that might be going on the road playing on the grass and the wind and the rain. Sometimes it doesn't matter that they're playing. It's just a way there's a thing where, hey, we're not expected to play as well. We haven't played as well. And it's kind of this mental thing. Now, Drew Brees throws the pick at the end. If that yeah, doesn't that happen, was the head scratcher. They win. That was a head and scratcher. He, he played a heck of a game. Yeah. I mean, he, I know he had a bunch of incomplete passes at the end, but he threw for 342. He's still on pace for 5,000 yards. So I'm just, I'm just a little bit surprised because I picked the Saints to win that division. You know what, Brian? I still picked them to win that division. Could we, could, a, could we see a 7-9 and nine We did already with the Pete Carroll's team. Win right? the uh, NFC, NFC South? I, I'm not yeah. so sure we may not. Yeah, because Atlanta's all banged up, as you know, and Tampa's, Tampa's terrible. Not Carolina's and so up and down. Carolina's like this. And the Saints, they, the Saints should win that division, but I'm more surprised about the defense's ineffectiveness. They just, they're not stopping. They're not tackling. Yeah. They're, not, they're not coming up with takeaways like they should. And, and so I think they've got the Achilles heel on that side of the ball. My, my biggest road story is I go to the Baltimore Ravens, and as the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens, they had not won in Pittsburgh in like 18 years, ever, you know. And it's like, and so, and I could tell, and I'm new to it, you know, I'm just in, in our second year of the year, we go to the Super Bowl. We talk about the Jacksonville game. I think we talked about that last year, overcoming a 21-point or 24-point deficit, whatever, and overcoming a losing streak and whatever. We opened up the season at Pittsburgh where they had never won. And I could tell with my management, my owner, and even Ozzy, it's like, well, we always lose in Pittsburgh, so 0-1 won't kill us. Like, oh, wait a minute. Let's. And we beat Pittsburgh. Did you? And, and mentality that that brought, like, okay, here we go. We're ready to go. Which, and so you're right. It is as much a mental thing as anything. Let's, let's talk about um, uh, my column on Wednesday. I'm talking about Jim Caldwell in Detroit, since we were talking about your, your old haunt, the Detroit Lions. Let's remember, Jim... Caldwell was hired, and it reminds me so much of when I came into Baltimore because and we were all geniuses and gurus at the time, which obviously you and I just love that title anymore. But Jim Caldwell was brought in as an offensive guru to help straighten out Matthew Stafford, right? If we can just get Matthew Stafford straightened out, eliminate some of the turnovers, we're going to be a good football team. And, and Martin Mayhew hired him in the Fords, and, and that's why Jim Caldwell was brought in. Well, what are they doing? They're winning with the best defense in the National Football League. Hey, that's what you did. That's well, and you that's did. I came in as a guru. genius and it was and, yeah. and inherited the best single season defense in the history of football. <laughs> well, the point I'm getting at is it takes a different mindset. I had to alter my thinking a little bit to think, okay, this is what I've won before and this is what I think it takes to win, but I had to recognize, you know what? I got to change the way I call a game. I got to change well, the way I orchestrate this cuz this defense is pretty special. Brian, that's why you have a Super Bowl ring, because you were able to adjust your strengths, weaknesses, and say, hey, I'm not going to throw the ball and score 580 points or whatever right. you did at Minnesota. I'm going to play a certain way on offense, 
and our defense is going to help us win these close games, and that's what you guys did for years and years, and that's, that's good coaching. And so Jim Caldwell, I went to, I went to the Detroit Lion training camp, you know, because I did an interview with Ndamukong Sue and all these guys, and I saw everybody was great. That defensive front, especially that defensive line, is scary, man. I, I tell you what, yeah. I was standing right next to them, and I was afraid. I was afraid of those guys. They're big and fast and strong, and they can control a game. Ask Aaron Rodgers because they took apart the Green Bay Packers, remember? And so that's why they're number one in the league on defense. I, I thought they would have drafted Corey Fuller in the secondary instead of Eric Ebron, the tight end. But, but uh, I think next year they'll build up their secondary a little bit even more. But, uh, you know, losing Kelvin Johnson, that's a, that's a, that's a bummer. And, mean, but they'll get him back, and that's a good thing. I know. As good yeah, as this team is, they're going to get a, a Golden Tate's playing spectacularly. Um, and yeah. so Matthew Stafford, who's thrown a few too many picks, he's, that's the biggest challenge for Jim Caldwell. He's right always now. been a gunslinger. He's got I know, a, he's got but a I've got that him, defense right? now. I've got to reel that in, Jim, or, or, or Matthew right. Stafford, because yeah, I tell you yeah, what, yeah. you're going to cost us a game. You don't have to take these same chances. But they're going to get a Calvin Johnson back at some point, and that would be, you know, that, that makes this team very, very scary going forward. So that, that's going to be worth watching. And, I, again, I just had to think about my time and, and when I went to Baltimore and had to make that transition. So I'm going to write about that on Wednesday. All right, before we get out of here, i got to ask you this, because you've had a great run here now. You get to go visit with Tom Brady, right? You got to, you got to spend the night with uh, Brett Favre. Uh, well, fig- not exactly. I was, yeah, I was figuratively speaking. <laughs> you were in the West Wing. Was that in the was same zip code or? It was, yeah, I was in the West Wing. It was way on the other side of this place, way over there. Anyway, yeah, it was fun. And then, uh, but, and then but we here, Manning coming on up, a weekend we? where Peyton Manning throws <laughs> and has the all-time, broke your Brett Favre's all-time record in touchdown. So that begs the question. I'm going to ask you right now as a former guru genius, quarterback, mentor. Uh, former? Is, yeah, well, we're over the hill. Oh. Is Peyton Manning the greatest quarterback of all time? Well, I think, he, yeah, probably, and I and I, that's no disrespect. No, no, probably does. Is he the greatest quarterback of all time? Okay, so you know, like we're supposed to say yes and then explain ourselves. Okay, you know, this is a different era than even Brett. Brett Favre didn't go into the shotgun until his eighth or ninth year. Right. Okay, um, didn't throw a bubble screen ever. Okay, I mean, you know, didn't call his own plays. I mean, he was a balanced offense. And, and, and then Marino was as good as they, it got back then, too. And, and Elway. And then go back to Johnny Unitas. In his era, he was so sensational. It's hard for me to compare this era right. with that area. Sammy Baugh was fantastic. Otto Graham, nine straight championships. Uh, yeah, so, so it's just hard to, to say which guy is best because they're all different eras and competitions and the whole thing. But when it's all said and done, Peyton is going to be so far out in front with some of these records. Now he still has several to go to beat Brett's passing yards and wins and, you know, some of those things, which he should do next year or the year after. But Peyton's, he's not going anywhere now. He's still right. healthy. He's going to build and on so this he, thing. 600 touchdown passes is not out of the question for him, right? So then, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about which young quarterback might have a chance to come close. Is it a Drew Brees? Is it an Andrew Luck someday? But anyway, it's fun to watch. The league needs great quarterbacks. That's what makes this world go round. Great quarterbacks. And teams are looking for that guy. And so let's just enjoy Peyton Manning while he's yeah. still playing well. Because you know what? He's playing better now 
than he did at Indianapolis. His numbers are far better in Denver than they were in Indy. He could have retired and went to the Hall of Fame after Indy, but he's even accelerated his game. I, I'm going to give my opinion on this when we come out of it, but, I, but you had a chance to visit. Let's hear what Brett Favre had to say about this. Is he as good as there is leaving the pocket, throwing the ball from the right? He's different than Peyton Manning, but he's, he's – He's excellent. Peyton's not as good as him the way Aaron plays. Aaron's not as good as Peyton the way Peyton plays. But if you were to start a team, you can't go wrong with either. But, you know, Aaron's got a lot more years probably. Uh, who knows? He could play 10 or more years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and it's interesting because when you ask this question, obviously everybody has to explain it. And here's, here's my take on it. we got to set the parameters before we talk about it. Because it, what, inevitably, what's someone going to say about Peyton Manning? Yeah, but he didn't win enough. He only mm-hmm. won one Super Bowl. How mm-hmm. do you compare a Dan Marino, who never won a championship, yet has all those numbers? How do we compare an Eli Manning, who's got two Super Let's Let's say Peyton doesn't get another Super Bowl, just for discussion's mm-hmm. sake. How do you have that conversation without – got to tell me the criteria first. Is winning the number one criteria, as we all know in this league it is, or – are the numbers so overwhelming? Because how do you compare a Peyton Manning to a Ben Roethlisberger, who has two Super Bowls, to a Joe Montana, who has three Super Bowls, to a Terry Bradshaw? Four. Four. I mean, how? Terry Bradshaw, four. Yeah. Yeah. I, how do you, I, I don't know how you have this conversation. Yeah. And, and so is winning the Super Bowl, of course, that's the ultimate right. Team. goal for everybody. But it is a team goal, too. One guy can't win a Super Bowl. And so, yeah, there's different, different parameters the okay. way we would evaluate I'm, a you're guy. You're the perfect guy to ask, so I'm going I'm to put you because we give them stuff here on the Coaches Show podcast. They get no place else. You have the unique perspective of having Coach Brett Favre. Your Green Bay lineage takes you to Aaron Rodgers. You're a Bay Area, you know you, so you're into the Joe Montana thing. You and That's I, Steve Young. Steve Young. The best quarterback. Name one right now. You've got to name the best quarterback. Of Don't those? qualify. Just give me a name. Joe Montana. Yeah, that's tough to know. And we forget as we get separated from that. But what he did, what he meant, uh, that's, a, that's a good one. Fortunately, I don't have to answer that question because I didn't have all those guys. And I love all those other guys, believe me. I'm with you. Steve, Steve Young's going to call me up. He's going to ring right now. Hey, what's the matter with you, Mooch? And Brett Favre, I'll just let you stay at my house. You're going to and, and And so, um, you know, you got to love them all. But when somebody wins four yeah. Super Bowls. And in 20 and seconds, is that the reason why, Joe Montana? If, give, if, give if things are a little bit equal, you know, you got to – that might tip it, right? Four yeah. rings, that yeah. tips things for I me. I love what I, Brett I said, that, that he said that Aaron can't do what Peyton does, but Peyton can't do what Aaron Rodgers does. I thought that was a, a very insightful comment on Brett Favre's part. And we're going to yeah. end on that. I hope you enjoyed uh, week seven of the Coach's Show podcast. Uh, you get insight here that you get no place else. Make sure you check us out every week. Go to NFL.com slash podcast.